All right. Good morning. Kids, where are you guys at? Raise your hands up. All right. Put your hands down. Okay, so who knows what today is? What do you got, Nolan? Your dad's birthday. Nice. What day is Nolan's dad's birthday on? Ramona? New Year's. So you're telling me that today is a different year than yesterday? All right, so what, uh, why, do, why, do we, why do we celebrate New Year's? What do you think? Liv, what do you got? Because you want to celebrate like the beginning of the year? Yeah, be happy that we're starting a new year. Who knows what a New Year's resolution is? William? So something you want to do in the new year. So like as the year turns from 2022 to 2023, you think, hey, this is, this is something that I want to do in the new year, right? Is that what we're talking about? All right, well, today we're talking about this passage from the book of Hebrews uh, because it, it can help us think through things that we might want to do in the new year. And one of the things that the author of Hebrews says in this passage is that we should consider how to stir up others toward love and good deeds. So, youth, help us out. What does the word consider mean? Sally? Yeah. So, like, think about it like a little bit. Um, a, lot. a lot. Yeah. So you kind of think think more about it. So we need to think a lot, think deeply about how to stir up. What does it mean to stir somebody up? Zeke. <laughs> you could like wake him up, right? What else could it do? So kind of moves people around, right? So if we're going to stir up people, we're going to move them from where they are to to somewhere else. And specifically, the author of Hebrews says we want to stir them up to, to love other people and do good deeds. And so what that tells us is that if we want the people around us to be more loving and to do good things, that it's part of our responsibility to think a lot about how to, how to stir them up, how to, how to move them. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and so I would encourage you to go home and ask your parents about how you can be someone in your house who considers how to stir up your family toward love and good deeds. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll move into talking about this passage this morning. Father, we thank you that you have given us the, the seasons and the calendar to, to mark the passing of time. And that as we move from, from one year in to the next, that, that your spirit can use this, this moment to, to draw us closer 
to you, to, to make us more like who you desire us to be. We thank you that you sent Jesus at exactly the right moment in history. That he lived a, a life of perfection in our place and died a death paying our penalty so that we could be redeemed, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be adopted into your family, so that we could, we could become your people and, and grow as your children. We pray this morning that as we, as we look at the book of Hebrews, that we would learn more about, about how we should respond to what Jesus has done for us. That, that we would walk out his work on our behalf in, in love and, and obedience towards you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, obviously, you already know, we're not, we're not jumping back into the minor prophets this morning. Instead, we're going to take another, another week off. You know, I thought that maybe we would all be a little tired this morning, and so, like, getting a heavy minor prophets passage would be a little much. Um, but really, this is, we, 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 we tend to do this. This is, to me, this is more like the last Advent sermon rather than a New Year's sermon. And, but as we, as we move, uh, I want us to take some time to intentionally think about, about who we want to be and how we want to live in 2023. And so we're going to look at Hebrews 10. Um, and what we're going to see there is a, is a call to draw near to Jesus and to stir other people up towards love and obedience. So we're going to focus mainly on 18 through 25, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 25 to help us kind of understand what the author of Hebrews is talking about when he moves into these things. So verse 1. Hebrews 10, 1 through 25. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers... 
Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, we're focused on verses 19 through 25 this morning. And it's going to give us three, three commands, three things we're, we're supposed to do. But, but before we get to those commands, we get, we get gospel truth. And so verse 19 starts with the word, therefore. He's saying, like, everything I'm about to talk about is, is connected to everything I've already been saying. And he's going to highlight two specific gospel realities that he's been talking about up to this point in the book of Hebrews. So he says, number one, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And number two, we have a great high priest over the house of God. He says, since these things, then do these other things. So first, he says, we have confidence to enter. He's telling us, that we have access to God because of Jesus. So we don't have to go through the priests. We don't have to go through the law. We don't have to go through the sacrifices. We have access to God because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Jesus has made a new way by his blood, through his flesh. The curtain was torn like a new way has been opened. And notice here that the author of Hebrews isn't telling us to do anything at this point. He's not telling us to, to muster up confidence. He's not telling us to, to be bold or, or take courage. He's saying, since we have confidence, right? He's saying we, we already have this confidence. And what this means, like this is, this is good news for me and it's good news for you because what it means is that our confidence to enter into the holy places, it's not based on us. It's based on what Jesus has done. And so it's not based on, on how I feel or, or what I think or what my attitude is in that moment. I have confidence because of Jesus to enter into the holy places. The way has been made open. That's the first reason he's telling us to do these things. The second one is that we have a great high priest over the house of God. So throughout the book of Hebrews, uh, the author has been making this point that, that Jesus is better. He's, he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. Uh, he inaugurates a better covenant. He's the better sacrifice. He's, he's the better high priest. He's been making that last point in, in the first part of chapter 10, talking about how Jesus is a, is a better priest than the Old Testament priest. He's been talking about the futility of the Old Testament sacrificial system. They offered these sacrifices day after day, year after year, and they, they never had any effect because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Just a reminder of the fact that they're broken and they're, 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 they need redemption. But, he says, through Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, because he's the great high priest and because he's the better sacrifice, once and for all, we've, we've been sanctified. We've been made right. Our sins have been put away because of Jesus. He, he did his work, and then he sat down at the right hand of God because, because he did it effectively. He didn't need to keep doing his priestly work because it's already been done. Earlier in Hebrews, we see that Jesus has been, has been tempted in every way as we are, yet is without sin. And the author of Hebrews says that, that because of that, we have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our struggle with sin. 
He's able to sympathize with us because he's, he's been there. He's experienced temptation. I think sometimes we, we tend to think, well, like Jesus experienced temptation, but, but he, he's Jesus, so, so his experience of temptation is, is different than my experience. Like I, I really experienced temptation. Jesus, not really. But we've used this illustration at BC before. Um, so if you, you think about fishing, uh, fishing line is rated for a, a pound test. So you can buy like one pound test line. You can buy 15 pound test line. Uh, me and my dad go fly fishing a lot and we use uh, 6X tippet for all you fly fishers out there, which means it's three and a half pound test. And so what that means is that if you're fishing with that and something that's 3.6 pounds pulls on your line, that line is probably going to break. And so if you catch a fish that, that's two pounds, you can say, oh, like that, this, this fish was, was this strong. I, I felt it this much, and then I, then I brought it in. But if it's too big, you don't have any idea how big it is. You might see it in the water, but you don't really know how strong that fish was because your line broke at three and a half pounds. For us, when we think about temptation, we're like 0.1 pound tests. The temptation comes along, we fight a little bit, and then we break because we're broken. Jesus is infinite pound test. And so when we think about our experience of temptation and how that compares to Jesus, there's no comparison because he never gave in. And so his struggle with sin got more difficult and more difficult and more difficult. The temptation got greater and greater and greater and greater and greater because he never gave in. And so we have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with us because he's been through all the temptation we'll ever experience and more. But the best news is that we don't just have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us. We have a high priest who was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. And so that means he knows what it's like because he's been there. It also means that he knows the way out because he fought it and won. So we have a high priest who's able to be there for us and to help us out of it. These are the gospel truths that he's, he's drawing on because we have confidence to enter the holy places, because we have a great high priest. He, he hasn't told us to do anything yet. He's just, he's just unpacking good news before he gets to the command. He's given us indicatives and he's about to give us imperatives. He's given us gospel declarations, and then he's going to give us three gospel obligations. The first one comes in verse 22. He's going to tell us to do three things. This is number one. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So notice here, right? He's, he's given us all this gospel truth, and now he's moving to give us commands. But even as he's given us the commands, he continues to give us gospel truth. He, he reminds us about how when, when we were converted, our, our hearts were made clean, been sprinkled clean. Jesus did a work inside of us to make us different than who we were before. He reminds us of our, our baptism, right? We, we took this outward act to, to be representative of this inward reality that's been done in us. He's, he's still reminding us of the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us as he gives us this command. He says we're, we're to draw near, draw near to, to him with a true heart in full assurance because of what he's done on our behalf. And I love the, the adjective attached 
to, to heart here is, is true. You see, the push, it's not towards uh, goodness or, or uprightness or, or righteousness. The push is towards honesty, towards authenticity, towards genuineness. And that's really good for me because I, I remember lots of times in my life where I thought, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm angry, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm upset, I, I have these doubts, I have this anxiety, there, there's some sort of struggle happening in me, and what I need to do is I need to fix that so then I can go to God. I need to get my heart in the right place before I go to the Father. But that's not what the author of Hebrews is telling us to do. He's telling us to draw near to God with, with a true heart, with an honest heart, with, with being real about where we're at. And the Father knows anyway. Right? He tells us to cast our cares on Him, not fix all our cares and then go to Him and tell Him how we fixed it. That's not what He wants from us. He wants us where we are. We draw near with a true heart. Full assurance, remembering that Jesus has made a way for us to access the Father that's not going to go away. So that's the first thing. Draw near, true heart, full assurance. The second thing he tells us to do, commands us to do, is let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Again, the command comes with another reminder of truth. He who promises faithful, we can hold fast to this confession of hope because we know that God keeps his promises. We know that our hope won't be put to shame. We're told to hold fast to the confession of our hope, not the confession of our faith, but our hope, but what we're looking forward to, what we're longing for. We're we're told to hold fast to our, our trust in God's promises, that he's going to keep them. And we're commanded to do this without wavering. This word can also be translated as, as unswerving or, or unbending. And, and I think that's, that's helpful for us to think about because sometimes I think we, we make the mistake of thinking that when the Bible says things like this, right, like hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering, that like one moment of doubt one moment of question, one moment of confusion when it comes to our hope, well, like, I, I've already lost it. I wavered, I'm done, I'm out, like, let's just throw in the towel and go home. Like, that, that's, that's not what, what he's telling us not to do. He's saying, don't be someone who puts your hope in Jesus and then puts your hope in something else, and then puts your hope in Jesus and then puts your hope in something else. That you go back and forth, moment by moment, not actually trusting in Christ not actually putting your hope in him. He's not saying you can't have questions. He's not saying you can't have doubts. He's not saying that you can't, you know, teeter a little bit. You know, just don't swerve to another road completely because that's not who we're called to be. We put our hope in him, however much hope we have. It's the object that matters, not the quantity of our hope. The third thing we're commanded to do is verse 24. Let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works. For this command, we need to ask two questions. The first one is, is what is it that he's commanding us to do here? And the second one is, is why, why this command? So what is he commanding us to do? The command here is, is consider. It's not stir up. It's consider 
how to stir one another up. And I think that's really, really interesting. I'm not saying that we just think about it and, and don't do it. Like, check that box. All right, I thought about how to stir people up, and so I'm done. That's, that's not where the push is. But the push is for us to, to carefully think about what will actually motivate the people around us toward love and good deeds. Why? Why is, why is that the push? I think that's the push because it forces us to actually think about other people. It's not, think about how you can make them better so your life is better. It's think about what, what is actually going to build them up. It puts the emphasis on other people, not on what we want to do, but on what will actually be beneficial for other people. And I think some of us really need this push towards considering because uh, some of us tend to go through life with a, a ready, fire, aim mindset. There's people that need stirring up. I'm going to stir them up. And then I'll think about how to stir them up. And the reality is that that's not loving. Because while we're stirring them up, we might not be stirring them up towards love and good deeds. We might be stirring them up towards something else. Like it, it makes us feel better because we're doing something, but they might be worse off because we're not doing the right thing. On the other end of the spectrum, there's those of us who go through life with a, with a ready, aim, aim mindset. Right? We're going to think about how to stir them up. And then we're going to think about it some more. And then we're going to think about it some more. We're considering, we're doing what he's telling us to do, but we're never taking action. And that's not loving because we make ourselves feel better because we think we're doing the right thing, but it's, it's never moving outward into action. That's not, that's not love. That's not compassion. That's just us trying to make ourselves feel better as we think about how we might fix other people. Instead, we need to consider how to stir other people up towards love and good works and then actually do it. And he tells us how. He's going to give us some specific ways to do this. Verse 25. Don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Now, I know it's, you know, New Year's Day, and so there's, there's opportunity here to, to bang this drum and talk about Sunday morning attendance. But I don't think that's his point. I don't think that's what he's, what he's talking about. Obviously, like, come on Sundays, gather together for worship with God's people. But I don't think this is limited to Sunday morning. He's saying we should be people who don't neglect meeting together with other believers. On Sundays, yes, but, but MC gatherings too. Dinners with, with friends and family. Meeting new people. Holiday gatherings. We should be intentional about how we gather with other people so that us and them would be mutually stirred up towards love and good deeds. That's what he's telling us to do. He's saying, don't, don't avoid other people. Instead, encourage them. And encourage them all the more as you see the day approaching. Encourage other people in light of the hope we have in Jesus, knowing that he's coming back. He's going to set all things right. He's going to, to end once and for all our struggle with sin. We should not avoid people but be with them so that we have opportunities to put into practice the things we have been considering about how to stir them up toward love and good deeds. This is the push that the author of Hebrews has for us this morning. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, these are the kinds of people we're supposed to be. Because we have confidence to enter into God's presence. 
Because that confidence isn't based on us, because we have a great high priest, we should draw near to Jesus with with true hearts, honest about where we are and and who we are. We should hold fast to the confession of our hope without, without swerving from one side to the other. And we should consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds, actively encouraging people towards those things. We should think about how the Spirit wants to use us in their life to motivate them to to love Jesus more and love people more, and then take actions, put ourselves in their life with them so that they might be motivated to follow him more closely. That's, That's who we need to be in this new year. We need to draw close to Jesus. We need to hold fast to our hope, and we need to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. And so let's make it a competition. Really, I think that, that these are things that we already do well as a church. It doesn't mean we don't have room to grow. It doesn't mean that we don't need to take time to consider how to stir people up. But this isn't a, hey, you all need to start doing something new sermon on New Year's Eve. This is keep doing what you're doing. Keep following Jesus. Keep, keep striving to love him and love others. And if the, the Spirit uses this to, to push you in new ways, like, praise God. But, but don't, don't feel this as like a, a guilt trip to change who you are in 2023. Don't, don't do that. Be, be who you are and keep following Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you inspired the author of Hebrews to give us both some of the most magnificent truths about who Jesus is and what he came to do and and also to tell us what to do in light of that. That we we get the good news of the realities of the gospel And we also get good works that we get to walk in because of what Christ has done for us. And so we pray that you would would send your spirit to to stir our hearts up so that we might be motivated to, to stir those around us up toward love and good deeds. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.